0: This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Time now for Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Here are your hosts, Sean Abbott and J.D. Burke. Nation Network Radio, a
1: presentation of Canucks Army at canucksarmy.com. Joining me today is Jackson McDonald. You can follow him on Twitter at Johnny underscore Pierogi. Still don't quite get that one. You can follow me. I'm J.D. Burke at J. Dylan Burke. Coming to you live after a Canucks loss in Toronto. That's right. At the center of the universe, they drop one in overtime, losing a two nothing lead in the third period. They lose in the shootout to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They do four to sorry three to two is your final score there. Jacob Markstrom in net for that game. Brock Besser and Sam Gagne are your goal scorers. Uh, Chris Tanev was lost in that game, so it appears that he might be back on the shelf, according to Travis Green, after the game. Chris Tanev lost six or seven teeth on a blocked shot, which deflected from his stick and into his craw. And there's no word on whether that will keep him out of action tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. All we know for now is that that looks quite painful and a little bit reminiscent of the Dan Hamhuis incident going back two years now. I remember that block shot against the New York Rangers. Pretty ugly scene. Uh, overall, though, you got to give the Canucks a lot of credit. They battled fairly hard, and they took it to a team that's supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender taking them all the way to the shootout. And and obviously if you're a Canucks fan you're going to be disappointed with them dropping a two nothing lead, especially late in the third period when they appeared to be in control of that hockey game. But you go you know what, you got to like the the compete level overall, especially a team that's been kind of on the downswing, especially with all the injuries to their forward group. They give a full effort, they try their best, but of course they are outmatched by the high-flying Toronto Maple Leafs with all their scoring power. Jackson, what were some of the key storylines from that game for you? I mean, lots to talk about. Tanev's out,
2: they drop a game in overtime, where are you heading? I mean, I think losing Chris Tanev is uh is just a nightmare for them. Uh I think you know, to have him come back and play what felt like two or three shifts. Yeah. And uh and then just be right back in the infirmary, that's uh that's a really tough pill to swallow.
1: Yeah, especially for a team that You know, It's one thing right now that they've got half of their forwards out with injury and obviously that's that's very unfortunate and you can see the way that that's affected their power play, you can see the way that that's affected their ability to score at even strength and even with the absence of some of their key pivots being Bo Horvat and based on his usage anyway Brandon Sutter, they're missing some of their two-way centers, people that they rely on in the defensive zone. Losing a player of Chris Tanev's import right now would not be ideal for the Canucks and they've had to do it a lot this season and I, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about the trade deadline, but you have to start getting worried if you're a Canucks uh, fan or even you're, if you're in management because there's been a lot of talk that he won't resign with this team Uh a lot of speculation, I should say. There's nothing really confirming that one way or the other, but that is the speculation. He's got, what, two more years on his contract, and you have to think the logical conclusion is that this team is going to, at some juncture, have to trade him. You wonder what the injury-prone label does to his value if they do take him to market. Uh, you just... And aside from that too, you hate to see Chris Tanna being injured as often as he is. A real warrior, he plays plays a really strong defensive game. He's everything that a lot of people look for in a shutdown defenseman, and he has good results too.
2: Yeah, and the the rare type of player too who endears himself to uh, stats and eye test inclined folks uh, out there. And I mean. The thing about Chris Tanov is that we're, we're we've seen what this Canucks team can do. It doesn't look like a market improvement on last year's team, and I think we're we're really starting to look at a player that is his best years are going to be behind him when this team is good again. And I. I look at the the roster makeup, I look at what's coming down the pipeline, and I agree with you, this is a player who might be, the best bet might be to trade him at some point, and that that just makes the injury and the mounting pile of injuries that we're starting to see from Chris Tanev... uh, even more heartbreaking, really. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. And I, I think the one caveat here is that we shouldn't get too
1: far ahead of ourselves. There's been no confirmation that uh, Chris Tanev will miss tomorrow's game. That's at 4 o'clock uh, against the Montreal Canadiens that continue their Eastern swing. Uh, that should be another good hockey game. I remember they met in December, and it was a bit of a barn burner. I think the, there was about 12 goals in that game, if memory serves. Um, Another really interesting storyline from tonight for me is the continued success of the Brock Besser, Sam Gagne, and Thomas Vanek line. And and with each passing game that those three remain steadily productive, you're starting to hear more and more murmurs of perhaps the Canucks should keep Thomas Vanek beyond the deadline. I'm not. Like I said, we're going to get more into the deadline later in the show. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but i got to say it's been fairly interesting for me as an observer to see the way that no matter which line Brock Besser plays on, it seems to be the first line. And that was the case again tonight as the besser vanix Gagne line contributes on both of the Canucks goals, one on the power play with the five-on-three advantage, another at even strength. And then again, Brock Besser rings one off both posts in overtime. So uh, it's, it's been an interesting line to follow. What are you seeing from those three?
2: Well, how about that, path? from Vanek on the Besser goal like I being you know a west coast lifer uh, Vanek isn't a guy that I necessarily grew up watching you know he played in Buffalo uh, you know had that stint in Montreal that was kind of extremely forgettable Um, you know but he is such a a more he's he 's a way smarter player than I would have initially uh gathered from you know highlight packages or whatever, and um he 's really impressed me so i don 't know i like you said we 'll get into the deadline later i don 't know if we 've quite reached uh hold on to him territory but i I really like what he 's done um both on the ice and as a leader too. You see him kinda directing traffic in between uh uh whistles play, when Bush. it comes to the power play. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I he's really impressed me so and it's really nice to see Sam Gagne uh kind of starting to come into his own now too. I mean that's a that's a contract they're gonna have uh, on the books for a little while longer. It was uh it was kind of their big move in free agency, so he's a guy they need more from and it's nice to see that.
1: Yeah, no, Gagne is really starting to pick up. And Gagne has been, as I noted in the Canucks Army postgame, you can go to CanucksArmy.com. The postgame title, sometimes you nip it in the butt, sometimes the butt nips you. I thought that was a little bit clever, but uh, we'll see how the comments section sees that one. Now, getting back to Thomas Vanek, Another really strong night in fairly limited minutes. He only played 16-32. You expect a little bit more from one of the Canucks' better offensive players. And and same with Sam Gagne. He got up to about 19 minutes. uh, Three shots on goal, one goal. And man, does he celebrate hard. But the, the thing that's really been interesting for me about Sam Gagne is when I was looking at his numbers earlier in the season, there's a lot to me that I could see wrong with how the Canucks are deploying him. On the power play, they had him all the way by his lonesome self in the forest corner at the point. Uh, he's never really played there before. He's known more as a distributor and a shooter than he is a, sorry, a distributor than a shooter. Uh, didn't really see that making a lot of sense. Then they played him on a shutdown line with Brandon Sutter on the left wing. He's only played right and center in his career. Uh, didn't really see what they were doing there, but the underlying results seemed to indicate that he was a little bit snake bitten and that if the Canucks kept going to the well with Gagne, eventually the goals were going to come. The only concern was that even if you looked and you adjusted Gagne for having better puck luck, he wasn't going to be anywhere near the offensive totals of last year. Now, after tonight's game, he's getting pretty close to a 40 point pace and frankly, I think if you ask the Canucks last summer, you know, you get 40 points out of Sam Gagne on this team, they'd be pretty happy with that. So uh that's starting to pay off some dividends for them. But as I'm looking at some of the stats for the Canucks tonight, another one that sticks out to me, and I, I made a point of this on Twitter too. Nick Dowd played 1802. Obscene. He played 1802 and he had at least two shifts that I caught in the overtime period. Uh we want to talk a lot about the Canucks success stories. And they are plentiful tonight. I thought Markstrom bounced back after a really ugly goal that was disallowed. You like the way that Brock Besser brought it both at even strength on the power play and even at three on three. But the one that sticks out to me is Nick Dowd playing eighteen oh two. How do you make sense of that? I don't.
2: Um, I know the uh, the Burmistrov story is kind of common pass, but I uh, was having a conversation earlier today, uh, and I I just. I don't really understand how you can look at Nick Dowd and see anything other than a fourth-line center. And that's not necessarily a knock on Nick Dowd as a player. Uh, You can be a good fourth-line center... Being a fourth-line center, ideally, doesn't make you a bad player, necessarily. But I don't understand why he's out there for two shifts in three-on-three. I don't understand why he's skating with... I believe tonight it was Marcus Granlund and Louis Erickson, which I know to... To fans this year, that probably does sound like a like two third line wingers, but Marcus Granlin was playing more like a second, maybe even first line winger at times last season. At times, and Louis Erickson is this is a guy who's had multiple seventy point seasons, so you know that's a. If I'm nicked out, I'm feeling pretty good about those line mates. <laughs> you know, it's it's I don't understand it, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm not sitting in the. Yeah, I'm not sitting behind the bench, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing for me, too, wasn't just that they were two overtime shifts. You know what? If I'm going to see Nick Dowd playing a three-on-three, uh Nick Dowd isn't a terrible skater. It's certainly not a strength. Uh Somebody who's good on face-offs, and he's good on the penalty kill. And Brock Besser, after his goal was disallowed, put the Canucks on the penalty kill with the slashing call. Uh, a lot of people were kind of calling it a bit ticky-tacky, but you know what? You get your stick in the hands like Brock Besser does on that play. Uh They're going to call that. That's the way the NHL is going this year. But uh for me, the issue is... He's right back out there in the final minute of overtime when you're trying to put the game away. And you think about the Canucks, how much they're lacking on the offensive side of things. This isn't a team that should be, by any stretch of the imagination, waiting for the shootout. Jacob Markstrom is not proven himself to be exceptionally good in the shootout, and they don't have the talent that you can go into that with any confidence thinking that, yes, this is where we're going to really pull ahead. So for me, it's just a question of risk-reward, and I don't know what the equation works out to for, for Travis Green when he's shortening his bench in the final minutes of the hockey game. I want to see Jake Vertanen out there. It's a game of speed at three-on-three. Three. I don't think Jake Vertanen played a single shift in overtime. Uh, you're right, yeah. And, and you know, it's it's tough because it's... You know he's got a balanced development and winning, but uh, I don't think he's doing a good service to either when he's playing Nick Dowd ahead of players like Jake Vertanen, Marcus Granlund, who knows who else. I mean, he played more than Thomas Vanek.
2: Yeah, it's it's a problem, in my opinion, anyways. Uh, I don't... Yeah, you look at last year. I There were times, as frustrating as it could be, where I almost didn't begrudge... Willie Desjardins for trying to play not to lose in overtime because in the past um, the Canucks had such a weak roster that in a relative sense, I maybe even liked their chances better in the shootout, especially a couple of years ago when they had guys like Nick Bonino or Adam Verbata. Um, but, you know, this year, when you look at the Canucks finally have some players with speed. They finally have some one-shot scorers. Um I don't understand how you don't look at uh, uh look uh, uh, down the bench from you at the other team, a team that's got um Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and uh William Nylander and that's just their first 3. Skaters that they would send out and go, yeah, we'll take our chances with a shootout. That doesn't seem like a wise move to me.
1: No, no, and and of course, that's how it played out. They ended up losing in the shootout. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs get two goals. They get one from, uh, I believe, who was it? Uh, Mitch Marner was the one that sealed the deal. I th- I believe you're correct. I know Austin Matthews had the first. That's right, that's right. So, again, when you're playing against talent like that, I don't like your odds when you go down to a skill top. Skills competition, and to me, that's what the shootout is. I've never been a huge fan. Uh, I know a lot of the younger parts of the audience right now are are thinking of the uh, the Simpsons image: you, old man yells at cloud. But that's how I feel about the shootout, and I'm not going to change. It's uh, it's a bit of a gimmick, but uh, you know what? You got to play with the rules that are dealt, and unfortunately, it is a skills competition, whether you like it or not, and that's just not going to work out in the Canucks' favor. So. You know what? You really hope that in future instances like that, Travis Green can be a bit more aggressive. I will give him a lot of credit where it's due. He has, in general, been a coach that's preached the kind of safe-as-death mantra that John Tortorella was so famed for. And the Canucks have played to that exact standard for much of much of their time. And, and you even go back to the, uh, the two Toronto Maple Leafs goals in the third period – you might even be able to reasonably argue with the amount of space that they surrendered in the neutral zone. I mean, those are where those two goals developed. You've got Chris, uh, sorry, not Chris. You've got Alexander Edler pinching in to make a hit on the left half wall. Uh, that's a play that should have been nipped in the butt in the the neutral zone. Certainly had more center support, and they let them get in for a two on one goal. Hyman sets up Matthews, and then the second goal, you got the Morgan Riley stretch pass. I think those are two goals where, as much as we like Travis Green's philosophy, you have to admit a team that locks down the neutral zone play. That sort of one-two-two-four check setup is probably not going to allow. But uh, yeah, you're you know, not
2: wrong. I mean, it, on it's the a double-edged other, sword. Yeah, on the other, on the other hand, does a team that play that plays that way get the two goals that get the Canucks into overtime in the first place? You know, and I would much rather. You mentioned the Montreal game from uh, earlier in December. Yeah, I would much rather watch this team lose seven-five than. Honestly, where they're at right now in their uh, life cycle, win one nothing
1: true, but you know what? You're not going to find many coaches who see it that way.
2: <laughs> no, definitely not. That's very true.
1: <laughs> Nation Network Radio, a presentation of, of uh, Canucks Army at CanucksArmy.com. J.D. Burke with Jackson McDonald. Uh, we have a trade to announce actually. There's been one in the WHL. I know that TSN 1040, the home for Vancouver sports, your home for NFL playoff coverage. Uh, if you're a fan of the Vancouver Giants, this is going to be your go-to radio station. Uh, their competition just got a little bit more difficult in the WHL as the I believe it was the, uh, who was it that acquired him? Jake Bean is on the move. He's going to be going from the Calgary Hitmen to the, uh, who is that there? He's going to be going to the Tri-City Americans to join Yusuf Alamaki. I kind of forgot that half a second there. You're going to have to forgive me. I had a late hockey game audience and uh, starting to feel the effects now. But Jake Bean goes to the, Tri-City Americans, alongside fellow first-rounders uh, Michael Rasmussen and
2: Yuso Valamaki. That is an A plus blue line.
1: Yep. <laughs>
2: you got both those players on your blue, li- right. blue line, you're doing okay.
1: A couple of Canucks Army favorites. I remember that Jake Bean was somebody. We had... Uh, that was right past Cam Lawrence and Josh Weissbach's time with the blog. So he'd moved on from PCS to the PGPS prospect analytics system, and it rated Jake Bean very highly. And going back to last year, Yusuf Alamaki, I think he was the only draft-eligible defenseman from the CHL with a over a point-per-game pace. So that is going to be one offensively-leaning blue line, if there ever was one. Now, I guess the next question here for the Canucks is what do you do going into Montreal with that blue line? Getting back to the Vancouver Canucks here, because they got another game tomorrow. You know what? There's been a lot made of Ben Hutton this season, and he's been a healthy scratch again. Now, to me, I I don't think that's a wise play, and we're going to have Daniel Wagner on the show in this second segment. He's going to talk about an article on that very topic. What do you do with this blue line? Because there's a couple moving pieces here. Troy Stetcher has kind of played his way to the top of the pile as far as people who might get consideration for a healthy scratch go. I don't think the Canucks are going to sit good Branson given the circumstances at hand. Who does that leave you with, Jackson? Who are you sitting if you got a full blue line and Chris Tanev is healthy and good to go tomorrow?
2: <sighs> I think i got to go with Michael Delzotto. Uh And, you know, I was a fan of... That contract, um, I thought it was a decent bet, especially on the Canucks blue line where they struggle so uh, mightily to get offense. But he just really has not uh, delivered on the uh, promise that we sort of had going into the uh, season. He uh, he's not really providing. All he's not pr- providing anything to write home about when it comes to, to the offensive side of the puck, and he's been uh, quite the adventure, I guess we'll say, uh, when it comes to the defensive side of the puck.
1: That's right, and he's somebody who, to my surprise, at the beginning of the season season, Travis Green was like leaning on quite heavily. If the Canucks were down a goal, he'd be out there to try and keep them in the hockey game. And if they were defending a lead, and the other team at the goalie pulled, it was Michael Delzato going out there with Eric Branson. Now that pair... There was a common perception around town that they actually had some chemistry. If you want to look at the numbers, Delzado and Goodbranson were actually towing about a 39% Corsi 4, meaning that the Canucks controlled fewer than 40% of the shot attempts with them on the ice. So that is pretty, pretty bad, but you know what? The thing was early. When you took Delzato away from that pairing, his numbers seemed to be okay. That has not been the case lately. If you look at the Canucks right now, there are only about five players, five regulars, that is, who have a worse coursey 4 percentage than Michael Delzato, which to me is interesting given his reputation. You kind of... You look at Delzato, he's well-traveled, and you think that somebody with his skill set, a puck mover, an offensively inclined defenseman, is gonna be somebody who can at least help tilt the run of shots at even strength. But you look at his results with Vancouver. I know he's played some difficult minutes, but there's no excusing a 45% Corsi 4 And I gotta say, that's where I lean. I wrote an article about this for The Athletic, about what the Canucks should do with a fully healthy complement of defenseman, And somewhat ironically, Chris Tannev got injured in the process, literally, of me writing that article. But uh, they could be facing that situation again tomorrow, and for me, I think that there has to start being some heat on Del Zotto. Took a bad penalty in today's game, and he's just not been able to kind of keep that success that a lot of people thought he had in the first maybe 20 games of the season. Uh, I think you got to get Ben Hutton back into the lineup, though.
2: Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. I also just wanted to add, too, that uh, just to address the elephant in the room here, um, if Eric Goodbranson wasn't somebody you were looking to move, that would be the answer. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. And, yeah,
1: to, to the Canucks credit, though, I mean, the alternative is to sit him. And what does that do? That submarines his value. And you know what? A coach is never going to tank. So you know that Travis Green is keeping Goodbranson in the lineup right now because he genuinely believes that he gives him a better chance to win right now than Ben Hutton does. But as an organization, the Canucks have to play this smartly, and I think the only way that they can do that is by keeping a Branson in the lineup, keeping the long-term vision in mind, and seeing what they can do with him at the deadline. And there has been a lot of talk that they want to get a resolve. Uh, They want to resolve the situation sooner than later, because they know that having Ben Hutton in the press box is an ugly situation for everyone involved.
2: Well, and uh, if you believe Don Cherry, we could get Connor Brown or Mitch Marner for him. So, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's that's
1: realistic. Why not? I mean, here we are thinking that the Canucks aren't even going to get back the value that they surrendered of Jared McCann, essentially a late first-round pick or an early second uh, six one-way half dozen the other. It's... Uh, I don't know. It's looking like they're going to get a
2: first-line talent. Yeah... Remember this moment in history. Canuck's army agrees with Don Cherry. Mitch Marner for Eric and Branson. <laughs>
1: That's right. It's it's a very rare moment at that. Nation Network Radio, a presentation of Canucks Army. Uh, we're going to go to a break here, but we've got Daniel Wagner of Passage Woolis, of Vancouver Courier. Uh, we're going to talk about his article on the Canucks management team and how they need to tar- start taking ownership for the roster that they have in front of them. We're also going to talk a little bit about Ben Hutton and what the Canucks can do with him as he's been a healthy scratch in a lot of these games lately. You're listening to TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports.
2: This is Nation Network Radio, on the voice of Vancouver sports, TSN 1040. Now, here's John Abbott and J.D.
1: Burke. Nation Network Radio, a presentation of Canucks Army at CanucksArmy.com. I'm your host today, J.D. Burke. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burke. Alongside me today is Jackson McDonald, subbing in for John Abbott. He's still making the trek back from uh, beautiful Buffalo in New York. Uh great city that Buffalo. And you can follow Jackson at Johnny underscore Pierogi, uh Nation Network Radio. We're gonna be joined by Daniel Wagner from Pasitaboulis of the Vancouver Courier. Uh we're gonna talk a little bit about his his post on Ben Hutton and why he should be playing for the Canucks through the stretch. We're also gonna be talking about his piece on Canucks management needing to take ownership for the roster that they have ahead of them. Now one thing that we're going to do, too, is we're going to take some calls in the third segment here. So if you've got something to say about the Canucks post game, if you've got something to say about the way the Canucks played today or what they should do tomorrow, or even the World Junior Hockey Championships, because we are going to talk about Canada's gold medal win in the second hour, why don't you reach out to us at 604-280-1040. That's the phone number you can reach us at, or 1-844-876-1040. We're also taking emails live at tsn1040.ca. Daniel, I understand that you're on the other line there. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Just uh, taking in the Canucks' overtime loss here against the Toronto Maple Leafs and and uh, looking at what they're going to do with their blue line tomorrow. And I think that's a good lead right into your piece the other day about Ben Hutton and why he should be playing in the Canucks' lineup. Uh, maybe take our, our audience through that article and what your argument was for why Ben Hutton should be a regular in the Canucks' lineup, even as they're getting healthy on the blue line.
0: Well, I don't think it's a particularly complicated argument. I just uh, I think he's one of their top six defensemen. I think it's pretty clear that he's not the problem, at least, on defense. The Canucks definitely have problems on defense. Hutton's just not the, the problem. So it doesn't make much sense to keep scratching him uh, now four times in the last five games. Um, essentially, he is one of their better defensemen. That's probably a controversial statement to some people, but he is effective when he's on the ice, especially when he has the right defense partner, and he's much better than some of the other defensemen that keep getting in the lineup, like Michael Delzado and Eric Branson. So that's essentially it. it. It gets into a lot more detail in the article itself, but when he's with the right partner, particularly Chris Tanev, that's the best pairing that the Canucks actually have had this season.
1: And what were some of the metrics that you looked at that could kind of help you reach that conclusion? What kind of uh, informed your analysis as to Ben Hutton and his place among the Canucks defensive hierarchy?
0: Well, I didn't want to just depend on one metric um, to to make that call. I, I looked at Corsi. I looked at Fenwick. I looked at shots on goal. I even looked at uh, expected goals um, from from. Uh, uh, Corsica.hockey, which is a very useful website for those who are wanting to do some amateur hockey ana- analysis, or professional, I guess, in my case. I, I guess I do get paid for this. Um, but it's, uh, it's not just one thing. You look at, especially when Hutton and Tanner are on the ice together, they're the Canucks' best pairing when it comes to shot attempts against They're the Canucks' best pairing when you look at expected goals against, which takes into account shot quality. So when that pairing is on the ice together, not only does the opposition not get a lot of shot attempts, they don't get a lot of scoring chances, they're unlikely to score against the Canucks. They're actually a very effective shutdown pairing, which kind of goes contrary to what people think of Hutton. People think of Hutton as this offensive defenseman who doesn't provide enough offense, but he's actually a very good two-way defenseman who just doesn't always look great in the defensive zone because of the style he plays, which is not particularly physical. He's not really a crease-clearer like you usually think of as a defensive defenseman, and he uh, he is sometimes prone to making the big mistake he'll have a mental lapse and it'll lead to a bad scoring chance against but those that those few big mistakes are actually less costly than a whole bunch of little mistakes made continually
1: right we like to think of that as the alexander edler uh paradigm (laughs) Uh, i know i know you got a question for him uh jackson so i'm gonna let you take it from here
2: yeah daniel uh if uh Let's say just hypothetically, perfect world. How would you like to see the uh, defense pairings shaking up? If uh, assuming everyone's healthy,
0: uh, assuming everyone's healthy, I would want Hutton with Tanev. Um, that's obviously that's what I kind of the conclusion that I came to in the article, and and what just makes a lot of sense to me when you look at a lot of the things that have happened on ice when they're together. Um, I also like Edler and Pouliot. Uh, together. I think Pouliot brings out some really good things in Edler's game that have kind of... That, that's kind of something that hasn't been talked about enough. Edler has really struggled this season, and a lot of people who are not Edler fans will say, well, what's new? Well, that's new. He hasn't struggled to this extent prior to this season. The only pairing that he's been on that has really worked has been that pairing with Pouliot. When he's been with Tanev, a pairing that really worked well a couple years ago, they, they've been getting shelled in, in a shutdown role. They just have not performed particularly well. So I'd really like Edler and Pouliot to be more of an offensive pairing that you'd see on the ice with, uh, with the Sedins or with the Besser line. Um, and then with a third pairing, it's just kind of up in the air a little bit. <laughs> um, no one has really stood out to, to the extent that one pairing or another really works. Um, Delzato and Viega actually haven't been too bad together. Um, that's something worth considering. They've actually been pretty good offensively. Viega, uh, especially when he is on his game and he's rushing the puck and he's he's joining the rush even getting in on the forecheck, he can actually be quite effective. And that pairing with Delzato has been effective at times when they've been together. Um, but that would leave Erica Branson obviously in the press box um, and that's not necessarily something that the Canucks want to see happen. They'd much rather have him on the ice trying
1: to increase his trade value. Right, right. And that leaves you with a pretty difficult situation because we were just talking about this. Th-
0: that also thing. leaves Troy Stetcher on the shelf, too.
1: Yes. And that's that's a
0: tough thing, too.
2: <laughs> well, that was... Uh, I that- mean they- Please, go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, you could also mess around with that and try maybe Pouliot and Stetcher together. I, I just, I think Stetcher has really struggled this season. Every now and then he has these flashes where he, he's showing kind of what we saw in his rookie year. It's just not to the extent that you really want to see from him. And it seems like Green doesn't quite trust him as much as uh, Desjardins did.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. There were a couple games there earlier in the season where you look at his his ice time splits, especially as it pertained to the score. Uh, if the Canucks were were trailing, Troy Stetcher did not play. Uh, as soon as the score got out of hand, his minutes seemed to double. Uh, now, that's an interesting point you brought up about Alexander Edler, too, because we were about to get into that. Uh, he's actually towing about a 45% Corsi 4 but we're going to shift gears here because you wrote another really good piece this week that I enjoyed, and it's about the Canucks management group needing to take ownership for the roster they have in front of uh, what can you say about that piece and what kind of brought you to the to place where you wanted to write that?
0: Well, it's, it comes from a quote that Lyndon gave in kind of his impromptu uh, media availability that he had. Um, he was talking about Jim Benning and whether the Canucks were going to re-sign him uh, before the end of the season. And there was just an element that he had there. It was just a small thing, um, but it kind of set me off because it's something that seems to keep coming up with Lyndon and this management group. He he said the phrase, he came into a challenging situation. Um, And and that's a reference, obviously, to when he started the job. When Jim Benning was first hired, there was a challenging situation. Um, There wasn't a lot in the prospect cupboard. Uh, The team itself was getting older. There was a lot of issues that needed to be addressed. But here's the thing with that. First of all, every single NHL GM is entering into a challenging situation when they're first hired. The challenges just change depending on what team it is and what, where they're entering in, whether they're rebuilding, whether they're trying to become a playoff contender and a Stanley Cup contender. There are challenges that every single GM faces. And you can evaluate how a GM performs without really worrying about what the situation was when they got there, just take those individual moves. But the larger point that I, that I wanted to make is that this is the fourth season with this management group. It, it's been long enough that I think we can stop bringing up the challenging situation that Benning entered into. Uh, we're at a point where the roster that is on the ice is predominantly one that has been signed, or, or traded for by this management group, or drafted by this management group. Um, so I wasn't even making a statement about the the current state of the franchise. I wasn't saying that the current state of the franchise was good or bad. Just whatever the state is, take ownership of it. Stop bringing up the previous regime and the challenges that they faced. It's been nearly four years. Take ownership of the situation. If you're happy with the the prospects that the prospect pool that has been assembled by this management group, take ownership of it, embrace it. Don't worry about the challenges that you face. Just say, hey, this prospect group is great. I like the draft picks that they've made. I like the trades that they've made to bring in some additional prospects. Take ownership of it. If you're unhappy with elements of it, perhaps you don't like some of the trades that have made, well, still, you can take ownership of that as well. You don't have to keep bringing up, well, this is the situation we entered into when it's been nearly four years.
2: Well, uh, Daniel, as you mentioned, it's been uh, almost four years uh, on the job now for Jim Benning. Uh, his contract is going to run out at the end of the season. Uh, would you look into uh, renewing that contract, having Benning stick around, or would you like to look elsewhere?
0: Well, I've never been one to really like talking about someone's Job as a just because I don't, I wouldn't want to lose my job and I wouldn't want other people speculating about whether I should lose my job. And I don't, so I don't much like to talk about other people losing their jobs. I like to talk about how they performed and let other people come to that decision. I think that Jim Benning has made a lot of improvements over the last year. I like a lot of the moves that he's made more recently. I thought the draft that they had uh, this past year was excellent with some very, very good choices. Uh, at the top of the draft in particular. Um, And and I think that maybe they've learned a bit from some of the, that that Jim Benning has learned a bit from some of the trades that he's made that have not panned out. I would hope so at least that perhaps the Eric Branson trade in particular has maybe taught him something. That's not necessarily something you want to see a general manager learn on the job. But I I think that there are improvements made and you could defend uh, re-signing him. Um, to, to a new contract just kind of based on this past year and, and how it's gone um, I think you could also perfectly justify not renewing that contract and moving on to a new general manager based on some of the other moves I don't really want to say personally what I would do because I just don't think that's necessarily very fair I think you can instead just kind of look at the decisions and, and choices that he's made the contracts that he signs, the, the, the trades that he's made uh the the picks that he's used and, and judge from there. I'm not going to say whether or not I would though.
1: That is uh, that is entirely fair. My general rule is I will never advocate for somebody being fired, but clearly you are a Absolutely. nicer man than I because you take it even a step further. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a low bar to clear, but I'm going to give you that. And you guys are
2: both nicer than me. <laughs>
1: fair <laughs> enough. You know what, though? I think one thing that's really going to play a significant factor in whether Jim Benning makes his return to the Canucks next season is how he handles the trade deadline. Uh, as somebody who covers the team from a day-to-day basis, what do you want to see from the Canucks as they enter the deadline? They've got a couple assets that they can move. Uh, They've also got a full complement of draft picks, and we've seen them use those to expedite the development process. What do you want to see from Jim Benning as they get down the stretch here and towards the February 28th trade deadline?
0: I think the biggest thing is that I I want them to make an honest assessment of where the team is right now. And that's part of taking ownership of of where the the franchise is. Um, I think the first 15 games of the season, that was kind of a benchmark that some people used that they could perhaps fool the team into thinking they're further along than they actually are. In some respects, maybe these injuries that the Canucks have faced have been a bit of a blessing in disguise as they've kind of shown how shallow the depth is, uh, especially at center, that there isn't really a lot there, especially with the Canucks' two best prospects at center, uh, Pedersen and Adam Gaudet, not being available to them as they're not in the AHL. Um, so I think there needs to be an honest assessment that the team is still rebuilding. The team is not ready to be a playoff contender, definitely not ready to be a Stanley Cup contender in anytime soon, and that they need to keep refilling the prospect pool, keep making it deeper and deeper, especially at key needs at center and on defense. And so at the trade deadline, I, I think they need to move as many of the veterans that they can, I think that Erica Branson is an obvious one to look to, to move. I think that as much as Thomas Vanek has been uh, even better than expected and actually a really good fit with Brock Besser, a good mentor, I think they have to move him as well and get whatever assets they can get in that trade as well. Um, I think you have to look to move maybe Alex Edler if he's willing to, to waive his no-trade clause. Um, and And any other veterans that you can move, I, I think you have to explore it with exception of the Sadines, I think the Sadines aren't going anywhere and they shouldn't. Um, maybe Sam Gagne is a guy that is not going to be possible to trade with uh, with his contract and with his somewhat mediocre performance this season. Um, but whatever moves you can make, even Chris Tanev, I, I love Chris Tanev and I've kind of been an advocate for not trading him because I don't think other teams will view him as highly as he deserves. And so you won't get as much back in a trade as of is actually worth on the team itself. But again, you have to make an honest assessment of where the team is right now. You're still rebuilding. You're still trying to, to provide this new generation for, for the future. You have to try to get as many prospects and draft picks as you can at this trade deadline.
1: That's a, that's a very fair. And, uh, Frankly, a very intelligent way of approaching the deadline, if you ask me. I think they got to stop making the the high percentage bets on low upside players with the draft picks and just go for go for uh, the home run there and accumulate draft picks and prospects that might be a little bit further away from reaching the NHL. Now, the Canucks have a really interesting situation here with a lot of their RFAs, and there's going to be a time when they have to ask themselves how many spots they want occupied by players like Troy Stetcher, Marcus Granlund, Sven Berchi, people who are up for new contracts. Are there anybody on the kind of fringe or peripheries of the Canucks trade deadline plans that you might consider moving just ahead of their contract sort of situation here before they get into the offseason and they need a new deal? Some wild card um, candidates?
0: To, uh, I don't know. When it comes to their restricted free agents, I don't think there's anybody that they have to move. Um, I don't think there's any rush to move Sven-, Sven Berchi. It's not like he's produced enough to make him impossible to re-sign at a reasonable uh, reasonable value. I think on defense, they especially can't afford to move any young players. I think Troy Stecher and Derek Pouliot uh, have to figure into their future plans. So I don't see any need to move them. Um, and, and I just don't see Marcus Grandlin moving as well. I, I think that Grandlin is is a guy that's going to stick around for good or ill. He's a, a reasonable bottom six forward who sometimes can fill in at, at higher levels if if need be. Uh, those fringe guys, I, I just don't see any surprises there. The one thing that could happen is maybe Ben Hutton gets moved just if if the team doesn't necessarily believe in him. Uh, As a guy who's going to be there Long term for the future I think that would be foolish I think Hatton has a lot more to give But uh, that is a guy that maybe they could look to
1: move Well Given our audience a lot to think about here As the Canucks go down the home stretch Uh, They're going to be playing the Montreal Canadiens tomorrow Team 1040, sorry TSN 1040 That's a throwback on my part They're going to be providing (laughs) pre and post game coverage Thanks a lot for joining us Daniel And uh, hey, look forward to seeing you at the rink sometime Sounds good All right, have a good one. And we're going to be going to the break here, but what we're going to want to do is get some callers on the other side here for the third segment, so you can reach out to us at 604-280-1040. Toll free, 1-844-876-1040. Email us live at tsn1040.ca. Also, we've got a poll question up. You can see it on the Twitter or at tsn1040.ca. When the Canucks have a full complement of defensemen, which could be as soon as tomorrow, depending on the status of one Chris Tanev, who sits? Is it Michael DelZotto? Troy Stecher, Ben Hutton, or Derek Pouliot who's been a bit of a you know he's hit a bit of a lull here it does happen. He's just in his first full season in the NHL so I uh, figured I'd throw him in there as a bit of a consideration and see where see where the audience goes with that. But for now you're listening to TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver Sports. See you on the other side.
0: We're back with more Nation Network Radio on TSN
2: 1040.
1: Radio coming to you live on a Saturday, Saturday January 6th from TSN 1040 Studios, a presentation of Canucks Army at CanucksArmy.ca You can even follow us on Twitter at Canucks Army. So much branding. Uh, you can also follow me. I'll be your host today, JD Burke. You can follow me at J. Dylan Burke on Twitter with Jackson McDonald at Johnny underscore Pierogi. Uh, we're doing the post-game coverage right now for the Canucks 3-2 shootout loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs and we've actually got some audio from the post-game coverage of Travis Green's press conference. Do you have an update on Chris Tanner? Nope. Will he fly on with you guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, lost some teeth.
3: they checking for. We uh, have to make sure there's no fractures or anything like that. So we won't know till. I don't know if we'll know tonight or not. Did you know right away he wasn't coming No, didn't didn't know till partway. I think through the second we got word that he was not coming back. What about the job your team did without him? I thought it was really the good, best collective. Oh yeah, uh, one of the best games we've we've played in a while. Uh, you know that's that's a good hockey team over there, and uh, we really I thought we did a good job limiting their chances. Uh, that, was good. that was just a really good hockey game. The team, there's been a
1: lot of losing lately. Um, are you, do you think you're able to convince them that this is a point one, not a point
3: loss? Yeah, we talked after the game quick. Just, uh, you know, I thought that was our best game in a while. We're, we took a step forward. and. Uh, hopefully take another step tomorrow night. Did you think it was over with the shot in overtime? No, I didn't. I saw the replay right away, so I knew that it didn't go in. On the first goal, they scored. Uh, Edler either fell, it was tripped, or hit head from behind. From your point of view, what happened? To oh, the he protection? got clipped. Just flat out got clipped. Have you so. been
1: part of a team this, this struck by injuries before this much bad luck?
3: Uh, I don't know. I mean, Sometimes you are. I, I can't remember if we've been this, you know, in the minor. In the AHL you come up with a lot of injuries a lot, but, uh, you know, it's when your team goes through hard times, uh, they're better for it at the end of the day, I believe, and I think we will be. Well, Travis, you were asked an awful lot <clears throat> the about I mean, you're on big stage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, goal yeah. posts in overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, about his character again just continuing to, to elevate. Yeah, he was... Uh, you know, I thought that line... They had a tough matchup today playing against Matthew's line the, the whole night. Um, you know, Mike did a hard matchup tonight pretty well with all the lines and, uh, you know, he's, he's playing well. About his, on, on his goal, the play to knock the puck out of the air, mm-hmm. like,
1: there's a little bit of luck in there, but his hand-eye... Yeah, that's,
3: that's skill. That's hand-eye coordination, a lot like, uh, you know, Bozak's goal, same thing, you Good players, uh, they do things like that. On the just loud goal, did you guys
2: think it was offside right away, or did you have to have a couple looks at it? We had to,
1: we had to look. That was Travis Green talking to the press after the Canucks' three-two shootout loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. TSN 1040 Zone, Jeff Patterson grilling him with a couple questions, as he's often want to do. Uh, we're going to get into those quotes, but before we do that, I understand we have a caller calling in from Nanaimo. Faber, welcome to the show.
2: Is that who I think it is?
1: You betcha. How's it going, (laughs) Jackson?
2: It's going good, Chris. Uh, What's on your mind?
0: Oh, I'm just glad to, I just wanted to say Congratulations to you, JD The show's been good so far I've been listening For the past couple months uh, I think you got a good co-host With you and Jackson uh, Former Dynamo <laughs> guy himself So <laughs>
2: That's right, yeah uh, I was actually going to Get you.
0: into some world juniors With you guys I was just going to have A couple questions for you Yeah,
2: that's great
0: Awesome So, um, I mean Obviously, Ole Levy's Is a player who A lot of people Really expected a lot From being a fifth overall pick um, A big question I kind of wondered And he put up the points Not too bad last year But he was playing with guys Like Wine and Poyarvi, right? Um, this year, what did you guys really see from him? Um, I know a lot of people saying maybe they didn't see what they wanted to in this tournament, but I think uh, he played a pretty solid game and played good minutes for Finland.
2: Yeah, you know I don't disagree. Uh, I think the thing with Oliu Levy is that he is not going to wow you offensively, and that's okay. Um, he, the thing that that I I lament about Ole Ulevi having seen him play live is that there are subtleties to his game that do not come through on your TV screen. I, I remember uh, I was uh, offered an, an up-close look at the uh, Young Stars tournament a couple years ago uh, when Ole Ulevi was you know sort of fresh off the boat. Um, and uh, something that stuck out to you watching him, uh, if you remember uh, a long time ago, something Kevin bX used to say about Chris Tanev, that he looked like he was playing hockey with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> that... <laughs> (laughs) You could say that... 10 times more for Oli Ulevi, at least at the junior level. The guy is cool as a cucumber. And uh, you know, you might look uh, down the line at guys that were drafted after him, a Matthew Kachuk or a Clayton Keller, or, or even a Ma- Michael Sergachev. Um, and you might be disappointed at the offensive skill that they left on the table there, but I do not doubt that uh, Oli Ulevi, uh can be an NHLer and an effective one at that. And, and something that you see in, in Ulevi's statistical profile, too, is from a data standpoint, he's not all that different from a guy like Miro Heiskanen who went third overall in last year's draft and people seem to be drooling over. So... You know, I uh, I understand the disappointment and uh, is he the selection I would have made? Maybe, maybe not but I thought he had a solid tournament and I think part of the disappointment is that Finland just had a weaker roster this year than they've had in years past.
1: Yeah, I thought that only Ulevi especially in that last game against the Czech Republic I was pretty disappointed that they ended up losing that hockey game because it was some of the best hockey I'd seen him play. A lot of people are going to look at Ulevi's counting stats and perhaps not be wowed but the thing to remember is that he was still over a point per game uh, for Finland in this year's tournament. He had a goal and an assist against the Czech Republic in an elimination game and I know yeah. that we're going to have Daryl keeping on for the fifth segment so I hope you'll stick around uh, because he's going to have a lot of underlying metrics that he can uh, reveal about you performance and I can tell you for a fact having been in pretty pretty steady communication with Daryl that his zone exit numbers were just sterling for for team Finland so even if he wasn't showing up on the scoreboard like you might have wanted to see a lot of what what he was doing in the defensive zone to help his team keep pucks from entering with control and exiting his zone from control. He was doing that really well. So that's a really good question. I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah. Thanks a lot yeah, for hey, your can...
2: call, Chris. And, uh, uh, make sure to say, uh, hi to, uh, Dylan and for me. Okay.
1: Will do. yeah, we're at the, uh, VIU
0: game right now. watching some action. So Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for taking my
2: call guys. Have a good show. Thanks man.
1: No worries. And, uh, we appreciate that call coming in from Chris and Nanaimo, uh, You know what? I'm glad he brought up Levy. We're going to talk a little bit more about the World Juniors in the second hour of the show, especially once we have Daryl keeping on. He's got some great metrics, but uh, for Canucks fans, let me tell you, he put in some really good work at the World Juniors, and he looked a lot to me like the player that I anticipated to make this team out of training camp because... That's the big thing with Ole Ulevi, is whether he's engaged in the hockey game or not, because I saw down the stretch last year with the London Knights that he can take over a hockey game when he's fully engaged, and you got to see that again with Team Finland, especially in an elimination hockey game. Right now, we're going to go to a break. We're going to take more callers on the other side, 604-280-1040, 844-876-1040. You're listening to TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports.
2: This TSN 1040
0: podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com.